If you have a Bible, please take it and turn to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. We began last week looking at uh, Jesus' teaching on prayer in response to one of his disciples' questions. The disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. And so Jesus taught and he gave them a, a model of, of prayer in uh, the, the Lord's Prayer, which we um, recite, we said together one version of that this morning. And we're going to look at verses 5 through 13. A little bit more instruction on prayer. Uh, have you ever had to ask a stranger for help? Uh, maybe you've run out of gas <laughs> or you're lost or just countless situations where you had to ask a, a stranger for help. It, it's hard to, to go up to someone and to ask them if you have no relationship with them. You, you have no idea who they are. They have no idea who you are. They don't know if you're telling the truth. And it, It's a difficult situation, and sometimes it's hard to ask for things of people that, that you don't know. Have you ever asked a neighbor or a friend or a family member for help? I think... We all have. Probably more often than we ask strangers, right? Because, because there's a, a relationship. Even on Mother's Day, we might think, have you ever asked your mom for help? <laughs> yeah, way, way more times than, than we can count because there's, there's relationship. And children of any age ask their mom for help. So let me ask you one more question. What about asking God for help? When you ask God for help, when you pray to God, do you approach him as a stranger? As someone that maybe you're not real used to talking to. Maybe you don't know him well. Maybe there's not much of a relationship there. Or do you approach him as, as a friend, as a, as a family member, as a, as a father? How we understand our, our relationship with God has a lot to do with how we pray. The, the way that we approach God has something to do with the relationship that we have with Him. And Jesus tells us here in Luke 11, we're going to look at verses 5 through 13, that because God is our friend and our Father, we should pray with boldness and faith. I think that's our, our big thought that I want you to think about. Because God is our friend and Father, we should pray with boldness and faith. If, if verses 1 through 4 give us a, a model for prayer, then verses 5 through 13 that we're going to look at this morning give us a motivation for prayer. They tell us, why in the world would I talk to God? They, they help us to see that the motivation for coming to God is rooted in relationship. It's rooted in the relationship that we have with God as friend and as father. But I want to start off right at the very beginning and say what we said last week, that, that this relationship as father and, and friend is rooted in faith in Christ. That's how we come to God. The reason we can come to God as a father and as a friend is because of what Christ has done through his death and resurrection and through our faith in him. It's because of the fact that Jesus became the mediator between us and God that we can come to him in this way. But apart from Jesus, apart from the work of Christ, then we are still in our sins and we are alienated from God. We are enemies of God. And there's really only one prayer that God invites us to pray if, if that's the case. If we have never come to Jesus, to, to God in repentance of our sin and in faith in Christ, then that's the only prayer that we have. The only prayer that we have is, Father, forgive me and, and save me. 
Because there's no relationship at this point apart from Christ. And if, and if you're in that situation, then, then the, I just want to encourage you right from the beginning. Because we're going to talk about, about prayer and how we can approach God. But again, if, if, you're not, if you've never repented of your sin and come to faith in Christ, then, then none of this really, to be honest, applies to you. You are in need of a Savior, just like all of us are. You've rebelled against God, but Jesus has come to, to take the death sentence that, that is due to us because of our sin by dying on the cross. And, and He has risen again, and He gives us access to the Father. He makes it possible for us to come to God in prayer. But if that's true of you, if you've come to Jesus in repentance and faith, then God is your friend and your Father. And so you should pray to Him with boldness and with faith. Let's look at that. Let's look at uh, Luke 11. Follow with me as I start in verse 5. It says there, And he, Jesus, said to them, being the disciples, Jesus said to the disciples, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Now, if you look at the structure of this text, let's, let's get the, the big picture. If we just kind of zoom out and get the structure of what's going on here. You've got two parables or illustrations. You've got this one that's kind of talking about the neighbor and the friend. And then you've got this illustration of, of father. And in between are the verses 9 and 10 that have this ask, seek, and knock thing going on. We're going to look at, the, we're going to look at both of these illustrations or parables. And the application of both is found sandwiched right in the middle. So if you can imagine a bun on top and a bun on the bottom and the meat's right in the middle, okay? The meat here is ask, seek, and knock. That's, that's, the, that's what we are to do, and it's rooted in these two illustrations, okay? So we're going to see why, what these illustrations mean and why they would motivate us to ask, seek, and knock. Does that make sense? It's very simple. It's a good tool to, to think about it, hopefully. So what's the first illustration? The first illustration is in verses 5 through 8. And in it, Jesus invites his listeners to put themselves in a situation. So he invite, he's inviting you and me. Let's, let's put ourselves into a situation, okay? So here's the scene. You're at home. You're asleep in bed. And it's a wonderful sleep. I mean, this is one of those good sleeps at the end of a, of a long day. And suddenly there's a, a knock at your door. Now, I had that recently. Our neighbor's house caught on fire. And the, the firemen came and knocked on the door. And there was the one knock that woke me up. And Andrew and I were both in this daze of what in the world is going on. And finally, I don't think he knocked a second time, but we got up to figure out what was going on. I thought it was foggy. It was smoke. Uh, we were just confused. So that's, that's the, what's happening. You wake up in the middle of the night and you're, what's going on? And you hear another knock. And you, you go to the door and, and you, 
You swing the door open, and who's standing there but your old friend from high school? He's just showed up in the middle of the night, and he's there, and he says, Hey, I was passing through town, and I need a place to stay. Now you say, why didn't you call me? Why didn't you text or something, you know? Well, that's, that's modern day, but let's put ourselves back in Jesus' time. Now, if you didn't know this, there were no cell phones. <laughs> um, okay, so, so we've got to put ourselves into a New Testament mindset here to, to really understand what's going on here. So the first thing we have to think about is communication is difficult. So there's, there's probably no way for this guy that's coming through town to give his friend any kind of warning that he's going to show up in the middle of the night. Now, why is he showing up in the middle of the night? That's the other thing we need to think about is that travel was difficult. It was hot. And it'd be better to travel at night than to travel in the heat of the day. Um, that's why you exercise in the morning or at night, because the sun's not up, it's not as hot. And they would travel in the same way. So he cho- he's chosen to travel in the middle of the night to, to, have rest, to, to be shielded from, from the sun. And the third thing you have to realize, thinking about, about um, New Testament times and um, even just a, a complete other part of the world, is that hospitality is expected. Hospitality is extremely valued in this society. This, this friend who's showing up in the middle of the night is not being rude in any sense of the world. This, this is what is expected. If you knew someone who lived in Bethlehem and you were traveling through Bethlehem to get to a certain location and you knew that friend was there, you thought, oh, well, my buddy Jim lives there. I'll stop by and spend the night there. That, that was just common. So this friend is not doing anything that is unexpected. It was expected that, you would dr- that people would drop in on you and that you would drop in on other people because you have relationship. And, and you show up and you're looking for a place to crash for the night. Well, not just a place to crash for the night, actually. You're looking for some, some food as well. That's what would have been expected uh, as far as hospitality goes. And so put yourself back in that situation. Your, your friend shows up. You're excited to see him or, or her. And, and after you get over the shock of this unexpected visitor, you suddenly realize, I've got nothing in the house to eat. There's, there's no bread. Now, bread typically would have been made at the beginning of the day, but this family must have been hungry that day, and they ate all of their bread. And you didn't have a pantry that was full of food that had preservatives in it because there weren't preservatives. And you didn't have a refrigerator that had food in it because... There was no refrigerator, and so you have no food in the house. And now, what are you going to do? I mean, you have an obligation to provide for this friend. You, You are in desperate need. So what's the solution? What's the solution that that he says we would typically come to? This is probably what typically would have happened. So what are you going to do? You go to your neighbor's house. So you put your, your shoes on. It's midnight. You... Um, walk out the door, it's dark, it's, it's quiet, everyone's doors are shut. During the day, all the doors would have been open, and that kind of means, hey, come on in, Let's, we're neighbors, we're friendly, we're going to hang out, it's a little bit different than what it is today, you know. Um, so every, all the doors are open, but, but now all the doors are shut, it's, it's dark, it's, it's pitch black, and so you show up at your neighbor's door and you raise your hand to, to knock, and we can then sort of, in your mind, zoom into that house. Okay, what's going on inside this house? Well, it's probably one room, and everyone's sleeping in that one room. Uh, there, there may have been sort of a raised platform, and that's where the, the family would have slept, and all the animals would have slept in the other part of the house. It's just one big house, and so everyone's in there. So if this guy's going to wake up his neighbor to ask for help, guess who else is getting up? <laughs> 
everyone, his, his wife and his children. He's going to disturb the whole place. Maybe the animals are going to wake up. It's a big deal to wake this guy up. So he's in there sleeping soundly. And you're on the outside there ready to knock, ready to break the silence. And you do. Bang, bang, bang. And from inside you hear the neighbor kind of groggily say, Who is it? <laughs> no, he says, he wants to know, who is it? And, and, and the, you, you say, friend, friend, neighbor, I, I, need, I need three small loaves of bread. My, my, my friend from high school showed up in the middle of the night. I've got nothing to give him. Would you please help me? And what is the answer from within? The door doesn't open. <laughs> the answer from within is, don't bother me. Leave me alone. The door is shut. My children are with me in bed. Now what that means is the children, everyone's asleep. The whole house is asleep. And if I get up, I'm waking everyone else up with me. And he says, I'm, I'm not going to do that. He says, I can't get up and I can't give you anything. Of course, it's not a cant of ability. It's a cant of desire and, and willingness. He's, he's physically able to get up. He's, he has the food in his house, but he says, I'm not going to do it. It's inconvenient. I mean, we can relate to that, right? I, I can relate to the guy in the house. When I get in bed, I want to stay. I mean, if, if I've been in bed for 30 seconds, sometimes I get in bed and I lay down and I think, oh, I forgot to take my contacts out. And, and I don't want to get out of bed because I've, I've gotten into bed, let alone in the middle of the night. The last thing you want to do is get up. And especially if I get up, all my kids are going to wake up. I mean, getting them in bed is... It's a process, you know what I mean? We've got four of them. Imagine, if I, so if I get up, all four of my kids are going to wake up. We have family members arrive in the middle of the night sometimes, and all four of them are up for probably at least an hour after that because they're disturbed. And so we can relate with, with, this, with this guy. But what happens? Look at verse 8. Jesus says, I tell you, though he, though this neighbor will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend... Yet because of his impudence, that's the word that's used there, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. So what's Jesus say? What's the reason that this guy's eventually going to drag himself out of bed and help his neighbor? Is it rooted in his friendship? No. He's not going to get up because this guy is his friend. That's not the reason. What's the reason? Because of his impudence. Maybe you have something related to persistence. I don't think that's really the best idea. What, what the idea is here, I think, as best I can understand it, is a, it's kind of a, a shunning of what's considered acceptable. Um, one of the commentators I read called it shameless boldness. I think that's the idea. That it's, it's a, whatever is supposed to happen in this situation, whatever is considered acceptable, the, the social mores, what's, what's normal, what are the customs of the day, this guy doesn't care about that because he's in need. He says, forget about the fact that I'm waking this guy up in the middle of the night. I'm going to wake up his whole family. I have a need. And so he goes to him with shameless boldness and says, help me. And he bangs on the door. And the man initially says, go away and leave me alone. And then as he's laying in bed, he says, man, this guy must really be in need to show up at my door in the middle of the night and knock and wake up my entire family. There must really be something that he needs in this situation. And so eventually he gets out of bed, not because he's his friend, but because of this guy's boldness. 
I think there's two lessons, one sort of secondary and one's primary. The secondary lesson, I think, is that this is how we are to approach, approach God in prayer, with shameless boldness. He's inviting us into that. He's inviting us into banging on the door at midnight. When, it's, when we think it's inconvenient, when we think no one wants to be bothered with this or at this hour. I think sometimes we, we fall into this trap of, of being concerned with, with how to rightly pray. What are the right words that I, I need to say? You know, maybe you have a, a need and you think, okay, I have this, this need, it's, but I have to first go through my Acts model of prayer, adoration and confession and thanksgiving. Then I can ask. That's good. It's good to have models and to think. But sometimes you're just saying, God, please help me. I'm desperately in need in this situation. And, and the idea here is, is that we are to, to come to God with, with no concern for convention, no concern for what we think is the right way to approach God. He's saying, just, just come. Just come bang on the door and ask me for what you need. That's, that's how I want you to come to me in prayer. In the middle of the night, when you think it's inconvenient, just, just come and ask. And we do that when? When we're desperate. When we are totally desperate. When we, when we are in deep need. It's what we saw last week in, in verses 3 and 4 of the Lord's Prayer. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins and lead us not into temptation. Those were the three declarations of what? Of dependence. We are dependent upon God. We, we're lost without Him. I, God, when I see my dependence, I will ask with shameless boldness. So that's how we're supposed to approach God. But I don't think that's the main idea. I think the point here is, is less about how we are supposed to ask and more about who we are asking. That's really what's being revealed here is the heart of God. What is the heart of God when we come to Him in prayer? How do, what does He look like? We've seen this how we are supposed to pray but to realign our hearts with God. But when we're praying, what's happening on the other side of the door? So we had that picture of you being on the outside of your neighbor's door knocking. What's going on the inside? Does God look like your neighbor who's up in bed and really doesn't want to get up and deal with you? What is the heart of the Father in this situation? I think the parable, in fact, is intended to say, if your neighbor will eventually drag himself out of bed because of your midnight boldness, not because you're his friend, but because of that, because you're being so bold, if your neighbor will do that, then how much more Will God, who is your heavenly friend, help you when you are in need? If, if we do that, if someone comes to you in the middle of the night and needs help, you will probably help them, even if they're not the closest friend, even if not because of their friend, just because of their great needs, you will help. If that's true of us, then how much more is it true of God? It's an argument that goes from the lesser to the greater. So if we as friends are willing to be inconvenienced, then how much more will God, who is our friend, help us? Uh, let me say it just in a simple way. God is more ready to give to us than any friend that we have. God is more ready and willing to give to us than any friend that you and I have. Think about your best friend. They would do anything for you. God is even more willing to do those things for you. So, so if we understand that about who God is, the application shows up in verses 9 and 10. So if that's who God is, I tell you, Jesus says, ask. <laughs> if that's who God is, then ask, because guess what? It will be given to you. 
and seek. Look hard for something. It's not that you've lost something. It's just you want something. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open to you. All of these verbs here are, are continuous, meaning that it should be the pattern of our lives. So it's not just one ask or one time seeking or one time knocking. There is this idea of persistence, but it's more of this lifestyle that, 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 that we would come to God continually because if, if God is better than any friend that we have, then if we ask Him, He will give it to us. And if we seek, we will find what we are looking for. And the truth, what's interesting to me, if you look at 9 and 10, is it's not just the co- a command to follow, but this is also the motivation to do it. Because it's there twice. But it, and it's really similar, isn't it? I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. So do all these things with the promise that these things will happen. And then there's a 4, verse 10. 4. So the reason we do that is because everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be open. So why should you ask, seek, and give, or ask, seek, and knock? Because if you ask, seek, and knock, God will give you what you're asking for. So that's the motivation. It's, it's both the command, but also the motivation to do it. This is something to hold on to. That this truth that 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 if we would ask, if we would seek, if we would knock, God will listen and God will respond. Many of us have, have grown tired of asking. Not asking God even, just asking anyone for anything. Just tired of it because we don't feel like anyone listens. We've faced rejection from other people and we think, well, I wonder why God would be any different. Why would he listen to me? Or maybe you feel like you've just asked God for too much. You've come to Him at the midnight hour too many times. And He doesn't hear anymore. Sometimes we feel like that, that it's this shut door in front of us. I'm reminded of an old movie, The Wizard of Oz. Remember The Wizard of Oz where Dorothy and Toto and her friends, the Scarecrow, Tin Man, Coward the Lion, they're on what? What are they traveling on? The Yellow Brick Road. And what's at the end of the Yellow Brick Road? Ah, the Emerald City, the wizards, where the wizard is. And they, they make this whole journey down the Yellow Brick Road and they arrive at the Emerald City at the, at the gate and they ring the bell and the guy sticks his head out and said, who rang that bell, right? Remember that scene? Maybe no one knows the Wizard of Oz as much as I do. <laughs> and he puts the sign out that says, door, with bell out of order, please knock. So they knock, bang, bang, bang. And, and the gatekeeper the, the, the one who's guarding the, the, the emerald gates sticks his head out and says, what do you, well, you know, state your business. And they say, we're here to see the wizard. And he says, the wizard? But nobody can see the great Oz. Nobody has ever seen the great Oz. Even I've never seen him. I think sometimes we feel like that in prayer, don't we? Bang, bang, bang. No, you can't come in. They knocked on the door, but it wasn't open to them, at least not at first. Eventually they again. But maybe that's, that's how you feel about God. He's too great and powerful for you to come and talk to Him. So you don't ask, you don't seek, you don't knock, but He's your friend. He says, come, come anytime. Well, think about a different movie, maybe a more modern one. Maybe some of you have seen Frozen. <laughs> I've seen Frozen. 
Zoe, you've seen Frozen? I think some girls over here. Yeah, Frozen. So uh, this is, if you haven't seen Frozen, I've seen it and heard it enough for you. Um, <laughs> but early on in the story, Anna, one of the characters, is, is knocking on the door of her sister Elsa's room. You remember this? She knocks, knocks, knocks. And what's the question that she asks? Do you want to build a snowman? Yeah, that's that's the song. I'm sorry I got that in your head if you know it. <laughs> Along with some other questions. But but remember, no matter how much she knocks, does that door ever open? No, it doesn't. For various reasons, Elsa will not open the door. And after years of knocking and knocking and knocking, if you watch the movie, there's part, there's a part where she comes and she gets ready to knock and then she walks away. Because so, it's it just never opened. Every time I knock, it, it doesn't open. I think we can feel that way about God, can't we? I just, I just keep knocking, and He doesn't open, and so I just, I kind of gave up on this whole thing. I, I don't want to knock anymore. I mean, even the neighbor doesn't open the door, right? This neighbor, when, 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 the neighbor, when you go and knock on the door, the neighbor shouts from within inside. He doesn't open the door. He didn't want to get up, and he certainly didn't want to get up and open the door. And I think if he had opened the door, he'd have that little chain on it. What do you want, you know? But think about this. What does Jesus say? He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find it. What's the last one? Knock, and it will be opened. The door will be opened to you. He doesn't leave it shut in our face. He doesn't open it just a little bit with the chain latched. He opens it wide for us. He's ready to listen to us. If we would knock, if we would keep knocking, the door will be opened. That's encouragement. He's saying, so do it because God is our heavenly friend. He will rise and he will give us everything that we need. Now, that, that's the other interesting thing to me, is at the end of verse 8, this, this guy, yet because of his impudence, because of his shameless boldness, the neighbor will rise and give him whatever he needs. I think that's so, something we need to take note of. Because the, the neighbor gives the man what he needs, and so too with God. He gives us what we need. He doesn't give us everything that we ask for. Some people can take this verse and say, well, I keep asking for a new car and God doesn't give it to me. He gives us what we need. And, and especially if we've thought about the first part, if we realigned our heart with the heart of the Father through the Lord's Prayer, then we're going to ask for things that are according to His will. And He will always open the door in the sense that He will always answer. He may not always answer in the way we expect. It may be no or, or not right now, but we can trust Him. I, trust. That, that's the idea. We can trust His goodness. That's the idea in the second one here. The second illustration that begins in verse 11 about, about a father. This is an easy one to understand. We don't need any cultural understanding at this point to get this one. Look at it in verse 11. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Now, I think that Jesus, when, when the disciples heard this, that they laughed. This is supposed to be funny. Jesus, I think, is being funny here. Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. I mean, this is, this is absurd. Imagine, you know, each of us as, as fathers, when your child comes to ask you for something to eat, would, would instead give him or her something that would kill them. <laughs> I think sometimes when my kids, when I tell them they need to eat, they act as if I gave them something that will kill them because it's <laughs> so difficult to get them to eat um, sometimes, which is amazing to me. But... But when a child asks for a snack, I don't say, here's a poisonous snake. Here, have this cobra. That's, that's absurd. Or if my kids want some scrambled eggs, I serve it with a side of live scorpion, you know. I mean, this is absurd. We don't, we don't do that. Nobody does that. No father in his right mind would do that. 
And the point is clear. So what's the point? In verse 13, if you then, who are evil, stop right there for a minute. Isn't it interesting? Jesus acknowledges the evil in our hearts, that we are rebels against God. He acknowledges this, that if we, who are evil, who... We don't know right from wrong half the time. And half the time we want to do what's evil and we're tempted in so many ways. He says, though, but if you, if that's who you are and you are evil and you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more does the Father know how to give good gifts? So it's again this argument from lesser to greater. If you know how to do that, then how much more does your Heavenly Father know how to give good gifts to His children? Of course He does. And so... The, the point here, the, the main idea is, is okay, God is a, is a better friend than a, the best friend that we have. And God is a much better father than any of us. God is a much better father than any of us. For the sake of, of Mother's Day, we could also say no matter however great, however great your mom was or, or is, God cares for you more than your mother ever did or could. Now, I'm not saying anything bad about your mom, okay? You know, that's always careful. You don't want to say anything bad about someone's mother. But think about it. That's what he's saying. God cares for us more than any earthly relationship that we have. He wouldn't do that. We would never do that. And God would never do that. The application then is the same, isn't it? So you circle back to verse 9. So if that's who we come to, if that's our Father, then ask. <laughs> Seek. Knock. Do it because that's who the Father is. That's who we're coming to. So come to him with this shameless boldness like a child going to his father. God is our father. We need to keep praying and we need to trust in his goodness. I think that's what it is here, isn't it? Do we trust God's goodness? At the, at the foundation, this is what Daryl Bach says, at the foundation of all discipleship is trust in the father's goodness. At the foundation of all discipleship is trust in the father's goodness. The problem is we don't often trust the Father's goodness. Sometimes we don't trust that He's going to do what's right for us. We get scared about that. We might wonder if we ask for something. I think sometimes we think if we ask for something good, He's going to give us something evil. We say things like, be careful what you ask for. What a terrible view of God. That He's going to catch us in some sort of technicality because we prayed the wrong way and He's going to give us something that we don't really want. But that's not who God is. God doesn't, God doesn't catch us. You know, my kids can come to me and ask for something. And they ask for it the wrong way. Or they, they maybe use the wrong word. I know what they want. I'm not going to give them something that's going to harm them because they asked me in the wrong way. God's not going to do that. So we, we come to Him and we ask Him, trusting His goodness. You might not ask the right way. You might mess it up completely. You might not even know how to ask, and that's when the Holy Spirit intercedes for us so often. But the reality is, is that we can come and we can ask in any way for anything and know that the Father's heart is good towards us. We can trust our Father's heart. If, if our earth relationships, if even there, if we being evil know how to good, give good gifts, then how much more will our Heavenly Father give good gifts to us? It's not even good gifts, though, is it? What does he say? How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Matthew actually says good gifts. But Luke says, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? What in the world does that mean? 
I think it's this. I think there's two arguments. So the, the one is, if your neighbor will begrudgingly get up in the middle of the night, how much more will God help you in your time of need? So it's lesser to greater. Then the, the, the second one is, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more your Heavenly Father? Lesser to greater. I think this is greater to lesser. So if the Father is willing to give you the Holy Spirit, then won't He give you everything else that's necessary? If, if He's willing to give us this greatest gift, which, what is the giving of the Holy Spirit? It's, it's salvation. It's, it's redemption. That the, the gift of the Holy Spirit is the indwelling of God that happens when we put our faith in Christ. And if He's willing to do that, then He'll give us everything else that we need. In fact, if He's willing to do that, I don't need anything else. <laughs> We'll be satisfied. If we realign our heart with the heart of the Father, we're praying things like, hallowed be your name and your kingdom come. Then we start praying things like, Lord, I just want some bread for today. Please forgive my sins and keep me from temptation. And if you just do that, then I've got everything else I need because you've given me the gift of the Holy Spirit. But if he's done that, how much more will he give us everything else that we need? He's willing to do that? Then he'll give us everything else that we need. So, here, let me say it this way. What we are asking for is nothing compared to what he's already given. That's a motivation for prayer. What you are asking for in prayer is nothing compared to what he's already given. If he's already given the Holy Spirit, ask for anything. I mean, anything. When we align our hearts with the Father, then we ask anything, and he will give it. Let me summarize to close. God is more ready to give to us than any friend we have. We know that because he says it here. But we also know it because he has shown us that. John 15:12 through 15 says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this. No one has greater love than this. That someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends. If you do what I command you, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. Not only does Jesus tell us, I'm a better friend than all your friends, he shows us, here's the greatest love that anyone could ever have for their friends. I will lay down my life for you. If he's laid down his life for us, then we can trust him as our heavenly friend. He has made us his friends, and we can come to him with anything. God is ready to give to us more than any friend that we have. And God is a much better father than any of us. Romans 8, 31 through 32. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? One of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up, gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him freely give us all things? It's the same argument as the Holy Spirit. If God has given us his son... If God has given us His own Son, if God has given us the Holy Spirit, I think those are synonymous, how will He not also with Him freely give us all things? This is the Father that you're coming to. The Father who says, I'll give you my my very own Son, my one and only Son, to purchase your salvation. God is a much better Father than any of us. He's a better friend than any friend you could ever have. Therefore, the motivate, therefore, in light of who God is, in light of that He is our heavenly friend, in light of the fact that He is our heavenly Father, in light of all of that, He says, I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. (laughs) Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you, because everyone who asks, receives. And he who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened.